Over 8 million people in the UK have an incurable and highly visible skin condition that has a huge impact on their lives. It is eczema. And it really does extend far beyond the physical symptoms of itchy, inflamed, sore, cracked and bleeding skin. Living with eczema means constantly having to plan and prepare as every decision you make will potentially affect your skin. It shapes your home environment, your education, your career, social life, holidays and relationships. This often makes people feel anxious, depressed, self-conscious, isolated and helpless. Well, that's why eczema really is more than just an itch. If you, a friend or family member suffer, this podcast from the National Eczema Society will help you understand the condition better. The National Eczema Society podcast series was funded by AbbVie, Almoral and Lily, and they had no editorial input or control over the content or other outputs. In this first episode, we'll unravel the mysteries behind eczema. We'll hear why people get it, what part our genetics, immune system and the environment play, how it affects us and how we can try to minimise the effect it has on our lives. I'm Catherine Nicholson. I have experience of suffering with eczema, so I know a little about the condition. But with me are three guests who know much more. Julie Van Onselen is a dermatology nurse and clinical advisor at the National Eczema Society. Dr. Alpa Kanji is a dermatologist. And Andy Proctor is the chief executive of the National Eczema Society. Thanks to you all for being with us. Hello. Hello. Morning. Andy, let's come to you first. The National Eczema Society formed almost 50 years ago. How much more do we know about eczema than we did back then? Uh, yes, the National Eczema Society was formed um, by people and uh, with eczema and their carers uh, because the access to information at the time was very limited and lots of health charities started out at that time and they've got society in their name. And part of the challenge was to try and understand this complex condition. Um, and it is complex and we'll uh, hear about that later. But we know a lot more about it now so and we've got better treatments as well. So things are improving but there's still a lot we don't know and that's why research is important and, and uh, to try and find better ways of managing and coping. And what about the number of people who have the condition? Has there been an increase in that time? There seems to have been an increase um, since the Second World War. Um, we're not entirely sure why. Mm. Um, it could be that there's more formal diagnosis uh, of more people, but um, it, it, the prevalence does seem to be going up, yes. And the reason why this show is called More Than Just an Itch is because a lot of people think that is all it is. Andy, it's obviously not just about having a little itch. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. It's quite complex, isn't it? Physical but also mental health impacts. Yes, I think most people have heard about eczema and consider think about it as a as an itchy um, uh, skin rash, but it can be so much more. Um, mm. It affects your mental health, it affects your physical health, and for those who have it severely, it can be brutal and relentless. So um, I think it's a part of our mission, if you like, to try and help people understand just how tough it can be and to help those people with, um, uh, with better treatments and uh, self-care. Definitely. Well, Julie, uh, that's your bread and butter and has been for, what, three decades? Um, yes. This is something I didn't know before. Eczema actually comes in many different forms. I thought it was just one condition. So can you tell us in some broad brush terms what eczema is? Yes. And when you talk about different forms, there are different types of eczema. So atopic eczema is the common eczema that people see often um, starting in childhood, but it actually can appear throughout life and it can go away and come back. Uh, we call that relapse and remit uh, because it is a chronic long-term condition. Um, atopic eczema is complex because it involves the immune system. Um, 
It is genetic. Um, the gene that carries eczema is also responsible for asthma and hay fever. And of course, environmental effects, we'll talk about them a bit later. Triggers, irritants and allergies can also affect the course and the flares and be very individual. As you go out through life, there are other types of eczema. And actually, if you have eczema as a child, you're actually also more susceptible to those types of eczema. So just to mention a few of the other types throughout lifespan, contact dermatitis often can occur through variety of reasons. Sometimes it's occupational and sometimes it's just a, a, an increased sensitivity that becomes, um, a, a, again, um, a, a type of eczema. And um, that can often appear in the teens and 20s. And if you've had, had atopic eczema as a child, you're more susceptible to contact dermatitis. We call that contact allergic dermatitis. So does that mean if you put a cream on that doesn't agree with you or contact well, with what? Well, it can be contact to anything, really, right. anything that goes on the skin. And sometimes Sometimes it can be something that has been on the skin and has been fine. And then a contact allergy can develop it, develop because it is a called a type four hypersensitivity reaction. Mm -hmm. But then other types of eczema, there's a type of eczema called discoid eczema that you often see alongside atopic eczema, which uh, forms in little disc shapes. And that's more common in adults. And then going into older adulthood, varicose eczema, which connects with varicose veins, uh, lower leg eczema, which can be uh, very uncomfortable and maybe even can cause the skin to break down and ulcerate. And then as you get older, we do know over the age of 60, everybody's skin barrier um, becomes much more um, susceptible and less protective. So you can actually get eczema as well as an older person. So it really is a cradle to grave condition with mm. lots of different types. I have to say, I didn't know there were so many different types of eczema. Can you actually have more than one type at the same time? Yes, very much so. You may be atopic, you may have a discoid pattern, you may get a contact dermatitis, um, you know, you may get varicose eczema as well. And I have seen quite a few patients, particularly um, middle-aged, older adults who definitely do have quite a few different types. And if somebody has it, what should they do in terms of seeking professional help from people like you? Uh, what kind of support is actually out there? There should be a lot of support. I think the first thing is it is really important to actually, if you have any development of eczema or you think you have eczema, you do need to see your healthcare professional, which generally would be um, your GP or someone in primary care and actually get a diagnosis. Um, because I think a lot of people sometimes feel they have eczema and sometimes they maybe go um, online and seek their own solutions. But it is very important. Um, in primary care, um, most GPs and nurses will be um, aware of eczema. Mm. Um, they won't be as expert as a, as a dermatologist, mm. of course, but they will be able to start people on treatment and also give them the support they need. Um, but of course, it does depend when eczema develops. Well, we do have an expert, a doctor with us, a dermatologist, Alpa. Can we debunk a few myths, perhaps? Some people I have heard said that they think you can catch eczema. Yes, I mean, that is unfortunately a, a myth that has been propagated through time. Um, so eczema, as we've said, is complicated, but someone's genetic tendencies or genetic makeup are a key part of why they have eczema, as well as obviously environmental factors. So therefore, you know, you can't actually catch it because it's someone's intrinsic um, sort of predisposition, if you like, that they have it. Um, unfortunately, people do look at 
um, skin with eczema and sometimes think, can I catch it? Is that a sign of someone who's not been washing? Mm. Is it, you know... things like that and that's absolutely not the case yeah especially in the playground as well I remember as a child being like oh you're dirty absolutely and I would even go as far as to say the converse is true so with people with eczema because the skin barrier is broken Mm. and is open it is much more likely to get infected Mm. so people with eczema are at greater risk of infection and catching infections from the environment rather than the risk of them passing on the eczema Mm. to anyone else and Are there particular skin types that are more susceptible to having eczema? Yeah, that's a great question. So eczema affects all skin types. You know, I work in a a tertiary centre where we see complex um, children and adults with very, very severe eczema. And we see lighter skin types and darker skin types. I would say the way that the eczema manifests is different. Mm -hmm. So in a darker skin type, you might get... um, sort of eczema manifesting more as a what we call a follicular eczema so the hair follicles are a bit more prominent um, and they also might be more prone to have more discoid so disc type lesions that Julie already mentioned Uh, you know for example conversely someone from Southeast Asia might manifest you know their eczema might manifest in a slightly different way it tends to be Mm. more of an oozy weepy eczema so I would say the the way that the eczema manifests or what we call the phenotype varies between sort of lighter skin types and darker skin types but eczema affects all skin types and you know if if we look at global data previously eczema is thought of as being more of a a condition that affects the western world or more Mm -hmm. industrialized nations but that's actually not true if you look at the data then countries or regions like sub-saharan africa and latin america are also affected so eczema is a a complex condition which affects large numbers of people all over the world and just one final sort of general point um is is there something in your diet that has any impact on eczema that's also something that i think we hear quite a lot yeah, that's a, a really common question that I get asked in my skin clinics all the time. And I think people are really trying to find that one cause, you know, is it something I'm eating? What Milk can I do? Or something or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would say diet and food allergy is a very complicated topic. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot to say about it, but very, to keep it quite simple for today, um, you know, food allergies we do see mostly in children. So under the age of five, eczema is more likely to be associated with a food allergy. In adults, much less so. Mm -hmm. I would say if there's any suggestion of, you know, food allergies, and it's very, very important to not self-diagnose and seek expert advice from a dermatologist. Don't go to Dr. Google. Absolutely. Because the danger is that once you start eliminating foods yourself, Mm. you're missing out on potentially important food groups in your diet, which is not, you know, can be harmful. And so you could create other knock-on effects Absolutely, as well. yeah. Very confusing world for people out there. So yes, getting yeah. expert advice from someone like yourself or Julie seems very important. Um, let's um, go into uh, some of those issues that you've all raised there. Genetics, for example, the reasons uh, why people might get eczema. Can we go a little bit more into that, perhaps with you, Alpo, or with Julie? Yeah. So I think in terms of genetics, there's a lot to say, but we know that there's some genes. So there's a gene, the filigrin gene, uh, which basically encodes a protein Mm. which is present in the skin barrier. And we know that people where this gene is not working properly can have a defective skin barrier. Uh, And that then has several ramifications in terms of the functioning of of the skin. Mm. The skin is a highly sophisticated structure. And when one thing that 
skin barrier is impaired, there's all sorts of consequences. So for example, if this gene filigrin is not working properly, the protein is defective. The skin, to put it quite simply, can be a bit more leaky. So it's like it's got holes in it. Mm. And therefore, there's a lot more evaporation of moisture. It's unable to keep the moisture in. Skin becomes very dry. And therefore, dry skin is itchy. But also, as the barrier is defective, the skin lets in things from the external environment, which can then trigger the immune system and, and, and trigger other downstream effects. So I think there is definitely a genetic tendency. Uh, you know, we don't completely understand all the genetics of eczema, but much more is becoming known as time goes on with, with more research. So do you tend to see uh, eczema um, within the same families? Is that often a sign that somebody's child might have eczema, for example? So yes, eczema is linked to other conditions. Uh, so asthma, hay fever typically, and they're known as atopic conditions. Mm -hmm. And we know there's inheritability with them. So mm -hmm. I mentioned one gene, which is filigrin, but we know that the inheritability of these conditions is related to multiple genes. So it's very, very complicated. But we know that these conditions and their tendencies can be passed on through generations. So if you have, you know, parents or other people in your family who have any of these conditions, so asthma, eczema, hay fever, then you're much more likely to to have one of those mm. yourself. You mentioned immunology as well. That's not something that I particularly know a huge amount about. Could you tell us about how uh, the immune system and eczema, how what that interaction is? So it's actually a really complicated topic, but to put it quite simply, the skin, as you can imagine, is the interface between sort of our body and the outside world. So the point of the skin, or one of the important roles of the skin is to protect from outside things which could cause it harm. So we have large numbers of defense cells in our skin, immune cells as we call them, which really are very vigilant to external things coming in. And as soon as something is detected by those cells, which shouldn't be there, from the outside environment, which might be harmful, these cells are triggered and they do their job very, very well. They secrete lots of sophisticated chemicals, groups of chemicals which kind of interact with each other. And some of these chemicals then can cause effects like inflammation, which we see in eczema manifesting as redness, uh, warmth of the skin. And this inflammation, this inf inflammatory effect is actually a protective effect. Uh, it protects against things that shouldn't be there in the skin. Mm -hmm. But in eczema, we see effectively a hyperactivity of the immune system. So these processes get triggered with things from the external environment, which actually aren't harmful. Yeah. For example, things like pollens, which are getting in via that defective skin barrier. But this immune system is triggered uh, you know, inappropriately sometimes. And then that leads to these effects. So redness of the skin, some of these chemicals cause the skin to feel itchy, which then drives the sufferer to scratch. So it's, it's quite sophisticated, but the host's immune system definitely plays a role and it's very important. And uh, you mentioned triggers there as well. Um, I'm just wondering, could we go through a couple of other triggers? Uh, Julie, what sort of things have you seen throughout your career? Yeah, I think triggers are really important and you need to divide triggers into irritants that irritate the skin and allergy. So as I say, allergy is a complicated topic. But in truth, if you actually, um, a lot of people ask for allergy tests mm. and actually we don't generally do allergy tests as a first line. It comes a bit further on with referral to dermatologists or allergists if appropriate. But actually, if you did, if you did test everyone with eczema, most people actually would be um, allergic and we judge that by the high IgE levels to actually um, two things. I always say one thing that's hard 
hard to avoid outside the house, which is polyms, mm-hmm. as already described. And one thing that's hard to involve inside the house, which is house dust mite or their dro- droppings. And they're both very hard to eradicate. Um, so people with eczema need to be aware of triggers. There are, there are, of course, other triggers and there are simple triggers that can be very easily avoided. For instance, soap and detergent. So if you have eczema, you should never use soap or detergent or bubble baths on your skin because there is another factor with eczema that if you increase the pH of your skin, which mm. also relates to skin barrier breakdown and the leaky skin, um, again, as um, Alpa described, um, you will actually cause further breakdown of the skin. So, so we're talking about literally you take a shower just in water? No, okay. no. Emollients are key. And I think we're probably coming on to treatment. So we would always say use emollients every day for washing and moisturising. So the idea is because water alone actually still has a pH of about 7.5 and you need your skin to be about a pH of 5.5, which mm-hmm. can reduce um, the skin barrier breakdown. But other triggers that people worry about, um, of course, People always worry about washing their clothes and whether washing powder irritates. It's something I've definitely heard. Don't use biological washing powder, that sort of thing. Or people trying different brands of washing powder. Yes. And I think some people um, get quite, um, you know, obsessed to find the right washing powder. And again, Mm. it's going to this single cause. But actually, in truth, most modern machines wash out residue. And it's actually what you leave on the clothes. So actually, people want to add fabric conditioner, maybe because they want clothes to be soft, because it's kinder to the skin. When you have fragrance in the washing um, conditioner, that's that's a big irritant because mm. fragrance and perfume are irritant. And then, of course, you hang clothes on the line, very nice for the environment, but then polyps can catch on the clothes. So there are some things that people perhaps, um, you know, do, do stress about. Mm. Obviously, there are some other um, triggers and irritants. Pets, and pets, for example. I was going to yeah. say, people some, people, to and some people can be allergic to fur and feathered pets, but again, uh, it needs to be diagnosed as a true allergy. Mm. And sometimes, you know, children with eczema, you know, I'd never say to people, don't let children grow up with animals unless there is a definite allergy. And again, mm. it's it's a smaller number of people. Um, and then, you know, other triggers, just um, changing seasons. Eczema often gets worse in the ex- in the winter when the central heating goes on and the humidity reduces and there's heat. And heat is a very big enemy to eczema. So we'd always say, keep the bedroom very cool, keep it well dusted, well vacuumed. So, mm. and again, at the Eczema Society, we have a very nice... Um, household irritant fact sheet which helps people to avoid um, all those um, common environmental irritants as well. Could I chip in as well actually and and that's a fantastic summary. Um, um, When we do patient surveys on triggers the thing that comes out top generally is stress which is obviously not in our environment but it's something that we generate and and I know we're going to come on to that but the mind skin connection is really powerful and and if people are feeling stressed they're not that can often be the thing that will trigger a flare-up so I think stress is something that is uh we, you know, we try and encourage people to to take into account and try and manage through you know well-being and emotional mm. well-being sort of uh, self-care so. and it's something that's quite difficult to quantify isn't it and even you get people who sort of you know the fact of having eczema will cause stress for them so telling them try not to be stressed must be quite a difficult thing for people to hear yeah i mean if i could add to that so I, I agree with you andy i'm yet to meet certainly an adult in the eczema clinic who is not you know whose eczema doesn't flare with you know stress 
And stress can be quite hard to manage. I mean, life is difficult enough without living with eczema. But I think stress has many effects on the body physiologically. So the cortisol that is released in response to the stress does have an impact on the skin barrier, for example. So that's kind of within the body, hormones affecting eczema. But I think also people with eczema who are used to scratching, they can sometimes in response to stress, scratch their skin. Mm. And we might talk about this a bit later, but it becomes a habit to scratch. So sometimes people who've had eczema for a long time scratch their skin, even when there is no sensation of an itch, because the scratching behavior becomes habitual over time. So sometimes in response to stress, people with eczema scratch their skin. So, you know, that's another reason why it can worsen the stress. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose if you're self-conscious about it as well, then that contributes to your stress or people asking you questions about it that you don't want to hear. Well, let's talk about those um, ways of coping with the condition or treating the condition. I suppose maybe there's sort of a whole gamut of approaches. Yeah, I think um, if you look at treating eczema, there, there are lots of options, first of all. I mean, first of all, the diagnosis needs to be right um, because you need to know with any condition what you're treating. Now, for every single person with eczema, um, whatever um, stage their eczema is, and you can categorise eczema between mild, moderate and severe, um, emollients are absolutely key. And we talk about complete emollient therapy, which means using emollients for washing and for moisturising. In layman's terms, what are emollients? Uh, emollients are moisturisers, but we generally say medical moisturisers because lots of cosmetic moisturisers, and there are some very good ones, but they often contain perfumes and other additives. So a medical moisturiser will, will not contain fragrance. Uh, there are various formulations and the formulation needs to suit that individual. So somebody with very dry skin might quite like to use a greasy ointment, but probably at night, because I always say, who wants to go out the next day with grease on their skin looking like a channel swimmer? So generally, we give people a mix of formulations. So there's creams, there's gels, there's lotions, there's ointments, and people should have a choice of the emollient that suits them. And sometimes that's another um, real challenge to find the emollient or emollient that suits them. But the key thing is you can often have one that you can use at washing and moisturizer, moisturizing. Sometimes you need more than one. Mm -hmm. And how you um, apply the emollient for washing is to just um, stroke it on your skin all over. We teach um, a, a, a dot stroke smooth effect. So, you know, you apply the emollient in a downward fashion because most people, and sometimes in dermatology, we say you can make a small change to make a big difference. Mm. And most people will rub in an emollient. Yeah. A rub will quickly become an a itch scratch. and a scratch. Right. So it's all meant to be very, very soothing. Mm. Um, and also I, I'm very um, passionate about a nightly routine that all um, children and adults should try and always have um, a daily bath or shower at night when they're relaxed. If their skin is flaring and we have inflammation, that's when you need a treatment, which generally is a short-term burst of treatment. And first line is topical steroids. Um, topical steroids are the best treatment we have for inflammation. And if used correctly, um, you won't go wrong, but there are different strengths and you need to know when to use the steroid and when to stop. Mm -hmm. But you really go wrong with steroids if you use too much, too strong, too long. Mm. Yeah, Alpha, I imagine this is the kind of thing that people will be accessing, not 
necessarily over the counter. You've got to go to a doctor for this sort of thing. Absolutely. And at what point do people know, okay, now I think I need to get medical help for this eczema. I'm just not managing to sort of get it under control. It's getting worse. Yeah, I think, you know, if there's a concern and a skin condition which is worsening and not going away, it's always a good idea to see a medical professional. And for most people, that would be their GP in the first instance. And then if the GP feels that it's something that, you know, needs further expertise, then they may, may well refer to a, a dermatologist like myself in a in a hospital uh, in secondary care. I think, um, as Julie said, you know, good topical treatment is very much the mainstay of treatment for eczema. So using those emollients and being empowered to know how to use the emollients appropriately and also which steroid, topical steroid to use when and where. And I think that education is is critical, actually. I meet many people who've had eczema for a long time and still aren't completely sure of what they should be using and how. So I think education is, is really key in that area. Uh, and there's much more to say about that. But moving on beyond the topical treatments, you know, in, in hospital dermatology departments, we've got many more treatments available if the eczema is of, of the severity that needs something beyond topical treatments, we are able to offer these things. So examples would be light treatment. So phototherapy, we know that light treatment can suppress the immune system. So we know, putting it simply, that eczema can be thought of as an overactivity of the immune system. That's one way of looking at it. And we know light treatment can help some, not all people with eczema. So that is something that we would think about offering someone in the appropriate circumstances. But also now we have many good treatments, oral treatments, so tablets that you might take once mm. a week or daily, depending on the type of treatment. So if the eczema is not well controlled with those creams, then we need to step up and think about the next step on the ladder. You know, what's the next thing that we could give this person to stop the eczema from impeding on their life, affecting the quality of, the, of their life uh, and, you know, to keep their eczema under good control. And are these treatments that somebody might have to take for the rest of their life? As you mentioned, it was a genetic condition or, or could it be a course of treatment which then stops the eczema? That's an excellent question. So I think essentially um, as that person you know, has a, a genetic tendency for eczema, they will always have a genetic tendency for mm. eczema. Now, we at the moment don't have a cure per se. We can control eczema very well using different modalities from creams to tablet treatments. I would go as far as to say that there are some tablet treatments, particularly with children, that when we start children on certain tablet treatments, once they've had these tablet treatments for a period, and we stop the tablet treatment, sometimes the eczema, you know, in some cases can switch off. So the process associated with eczema, you know, seems to rem remit, as it were, and go away. You know, is that a cure? I don't know. Could it come back? Yes, because there's always a genetic tendency. But I guess the point is that there are many good treatments available, which might change the course of the eczema going forward. So mm. we don't have a cure as such, but we've got certainly many more things on offer now than we had, say, a decade ago. And what about eczema's sort of natural course and progression through a lifetime. Um, I suffered eczema somewhat when I was a child. It came back a little in my 20s when I was in quite a stressful job, actually, as Andy mentioned. But it seems to have gone for me. Is that something that can happen for people? It, it will just run its course or is it sort of it's always there and it could come back later? 
Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, that's a very good question that we get asked all the time. Um, I mean, I personally had eczema as a child. We think of it as quite a childhood related condition, we don't do. we? So yeah. it's, it's, you know, the highest prevalence of eczema is in childhood. So around 20% of children are affected, 10% of adults. So it really, you know, particularly atopic dermatitis, this particular type of eczema starts really in childhood. And as for the course, it's very variable. So I, as I said, I, I had eczema as a child, which went away and then came back in my teenage years and I've had it as an adult since. So, you know, we don't at the moment have any good markers by which we can predict how the course will go. There are some things, some factors which do, can sort of predict uh, whether a child will have eczema in adulthood so for example things like if there's a strong family history mm -hmm. then it's likely that a child with eczema will continue to have it into adulthood mm -hmm. also the longer a child has had eczema so the time of the persistence of the eczema the longer that is the more chance there is of it occurring in adulthood and the severity so more severe eczema is a predictor of continuing to have it in adulthood and in terms of people getting all these different kinds of help. Uh, Andy, uh, the National Eczema Society offers various kind of help. Obviously, you're not doctors. What kind of help uh, are you offering to people? We have some fantastic information, advice, resources, and we have a, a helpline service, which is um, uh, run by our fantastic team, including uh, dermatology nurse uh, specialists like Julie, who, mm -hmm. who um, support our helpline service, which is fantastic. All our information is evidence-based, but because eczema is complex, it's really quite hard to get to grips with everything. So we have a lot of information on our website. We've got some nice videos on our YouTube channel. We've, we we um, make uh, do post quite a lot on social media about different things people can try and do. Um, and uh, I think the important thing is that we want people to understand how best to manage the, the, their, their condition because everyone who has eczema is an expert patient. They know their right. eczema more than anyone else. And, and because it's different for everyone, what, what uh, triggers their eczema and, and things that can affect them uh, can vary from person to person. So it's really important that you find a, a way uh, uh, of managing your own eczema with some foundations, like Julie said, with the emollient therapy and, and getting on top of it, inflammation uh, when it flares up as well. That's really important. And that means, you know, quick and uh, easy access to your GP or your dermatologist if you need it. And that's not always easy in the NHS system as we have at the moment. Getting in there with some headline advice, I guess, for people. Yes. Yeah. And some basic things, because um, if you've had eczema, um, most people have been diagnosed or have had it since they were a baby. And over the years, they'll have been given lots of information advice from lots of different people. They'll Perhaps have found correct. things on Perhaps the internet. Incorrect. They'll have found <laughs> things from friends and families sharing <laughs> things. Uh, some of that's accurate. Some of it's not. Mm. Uh, you find a way of coping all the way through. But I, I remember going to an eczema inf information talk and there was a lady in uh, her 80s in the talk. Uh, and at the end of it, I chatted to her and said, did you find that useful? Bearing in mind she had eczema for all her life. And she said, I've learned so much today. Oh. And you think, how can you have got to 80 years and not know some of these basic things? But because it's complicated mm. and because you pick up different things along the way, it's really important that you do get good information advice. And we have loads on our website and uh, we have a fantastic helpline service as well. Yeah, Julie, tell us more about the helpline. What kind of calls are you getting? What, what sort of things are people looking for from the helpline? I think the helpline is a fantastic resource because we can give people who call time. Um, so we have a whole variety of calls, actually, and there is a team of us as well, um, including myself as a nurse and other advisors um, as well, and another nurse. But um, the, uh, the nurses on the helpline, we tend to have the complex calls. So mm -hmm. people may ring and just want fairly straightforward advice, or they may be upset about themselves or their child, and our, our advisors 
are always able to help them. But if people are very distressed or they have questions that we feel that are more complex, they're generally booked in for a nurse call and it really can be um, quite varied. I'm often actually being an advocate also for the, the healthcare professional, whereas it's GP, sometimes dermatologists, but generally from primary care. And then just trying to give patients sort of very practical tips as well. I often talk, I have a sort often talk to people about getting their treatments right and having what I call an eczema toolkit. Mm. So they get the right emollients. They have a range of topical steroids, which as we say, we use for short bursts for severity. And we sometimes need topical steroids for different areas of the body. So you need a range. There are sometimes other treatments. Because the skin's different so, in yeah, different parts so of your different. body. Right. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes we get, you know, we get we get lots of questions, but often people at the end Again, reiterating what Andy said, they often say, gosh, that's been really useful. I've, I've learned more with a half an hour call and, and had all my questions answered. Um, you know, and it has, it has added to, you know, the treatment and I feel much happier now about managing my skin. So it's a very worthwhile service, I would say. It is interesting, isn't it? That this is a condition that affects so many people, um, all over the world, as Alpa was saying. And yet, we don't hear a lot about it. Like you said, it's almost like people have that embarrassment factor, which perhaps prevents them from talking about it with other people because information sharing can be so useful, can't it? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of stigma associated with um, uh, with a visible skin condition as well. And I think because people find ways of coping and because it's quite common, as in a lot of people have it, it's just seen as just something that's out there. Really. Just get but, on with it. Sort but of thing, it's really yeah. tough. Um, we as a charity, National Sex Society, are involved in an international collaboration with other patient charities in uh, eight different countries, and that included the US, Canada, Denmark, Spain, Germany, and um, Australia. Um uh, and uh, this was part of a, a project to look at the things that are really important to patients across those different countries. And the survey was done and uh, several different questions were answered, um, uh, were asked about, you know, how do you, uh, satisfaction with treatments and um, uh, patient education, how much education did you have? And the UK scored the lowest or amongst the lowest on every different measure apart oh, from wow. one. On the one key acid test question, because most people with eczema just want two things, which is what most other people have routinely, but <laughs> is to have uh, clear skin and no itch. That's that's the two things that they want. Mm. And we're so far off that from a lot of people. Now, in this patient survey, in all the different countries, the acid test question is how many years of your remaining life would you um, give up to be in perfect health and eczema-free? And in the UK, the respondents said they'd give up 37% of their life, a third of their remaining life to be eczema-free and in perfect health. So that just kind of gives you a, a really hard-nosed kind of way of just understanding just how difficult it can be for people. And that's why, you know, the services that we have and the work that Alpa and everyone does is so important. And um, we want to raise awareness, obviously, through this podcast and other things to try and, try and uh, get that message out there. I think I completely agree with Andy. I think, you know, uh, eczema has been really under-recognised, uh, you know, till very recently. Um, I think certainly when I was a child, you know, my my parents struggled to know what to do with me because there were so few resources out there. Um, but as time's gone on and as we've understood much more about what eczema is, what it actually involves in terms of the processes that occur in the in the skin. Um, you know, we've developed much more awareness and therefore more treatments. And now I'm really pleased that eczema has actually come to the fore. And we do have treatments that we can give patients that do actually work. And it's not always the first treatment. There is trial and error always. But, you know, now 
we're talking about eczema, which I think is brilliant because I think education of people, not only who have eczema, but also those who don't is needed so that, you know, generally in society, there's an understanding, a, a greater understanding of what this condition is and how it impacts the people who have it. Absolutely. And later on in this podcast series, we are going to be speaking to some parents of a, a young child who has eczema very severely and some young adults as well who have it and, and having quite severe mental impact on them sometimes as well. How far are we, Alpa, from finding a cure for eczema? Yeah, that's a, as, as I said earlier, that's a great question. I, I We don't have a cure yet i mean i'm saying yet in the Not hope that everybody. one day we will um you know it's a it's a chronic condition so it's a long chronic meaning long term long standing condition and as we said there is a, a genetic tendency to have it which we you know we can't do anything about really at the moment but we have certainly good treatments that can control things to the point where eczema doesn't interfere with the person's life so i think you know that's a, a really um important uh thing to note um i'm hopeful there will be a cure in years to come as as more information is obtained about eczema but as we've said you know there it's it's very very complex you know there's such a an interplay of things going on on the skin and the skin is such a complex organ um you know everything from the actual structure of the skin to the bacteria and the population of bacteria that live on the skin to outside things like the pollens and the house dust mite it's a really complicated condition so you know we're we're not close to a cure yet but hmm. hopefully one day we will be work is in progress absolutely okay a call to action for all the scientists who are working on it for Definitely. sure yeah. but we're actually involved in a, in a really interesting european project called biomap and that's looking at biomarkers for eczema and psoriasis and looking at certain things uh, that might indicate how a, the disease will progress over over a lifetime so there is some really interesting and exciting research out there and um, and, and we're very hopeful as well that so uh, we'll we'll be seeing progress as, as the the years and decades come and while we're waiting for a cure, let's just say it is going to happen. Let's just decide there is going to be one. But while we're waiting for it, I'd like to ask each of you to tell me, other than a cure, if there's one thing that you could wish for regarding eczema and people who suffer from eczema, what might that be? Julie? Oh, well, what would that be? I mean, obviously, I would like to see people with eczema um, being well supported, you know, because I, it is it is a chronic long term condition. I, I get very upset when I when I have people on the, the helpline who who feel that often they feel they don't want to seek help or, or even bother their 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 GPs or primary health professionals. But I think I think yes, I think everybody of eczema knowing that there is support out there, there are treatments that actually are, are well researched and evidence based that will match their severity and hopefully you know with support and and the treatment pathways that are open to them whether it be from the the primary care the gps or from dermatologists that they they will be able to cope and manage their eczema on a daily basis mm. and and live their lives and don't think that you're bothering your gp yes so you must because actually it's a it's a very it's a chronic condition it's a complex condition and actually um you know there's there's a lot that can be started in primary care and then even though you may have to wait for a referral there there are many brilliant dermatologists in the whole of the uk who can offer lots of options alpha what would be one thing or one change uh, regarding eczema that you would like to see um, I can think of many answers to that, <laughs> but sure. to, to keep it simple, um, I think hope, 
I'd, I'd like to say, I'd, I'd like to think every person with eczema, there is hope. So yes, it's complex. Yes, you know, there isn't one answer or there's no one magic bullet that will cure eczema as, as such. However, as I've said, we have good treatments. So with the right treatments or the right journey to try different treatments to get to the right treatment i would say there is hope and uh, i'd like um uh, uh, along with uh, those two fantastic um uh, answers i'd like people with eczema to have the confidence to ask for what they need i was just chatting to my neighbor yesterday and he was saying oh, i've got this real my eczema's really flaring up bad and, and he was scratching his arm and it was really quite bad he said oh, but i don't want to bother the doctor with it i know they're very busy why do we uh, have that attitude <laughs> and i'm thinking there's too many people like that and a lot yeah. of people we speak to on the helpline we're helping them advocate actually mm. giving them the confidence to actually go out and saying no actually this is something that needs needs sorting and um and 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 as alpa said there's many more treatments now particularly if you have more uh, difficult eczema to be able to go at so I, I think it's to have people have the confidence to ask for what they need and that's both for their physical health and also for their mental health and emotional well-being which we all touch on again i think in a, in another episode and just leading on from that, you know, you informally giving some advice to your neighbour. Um, obviously, everyone who's listening to this podcast probably looking for advice themselves. If you could just give one sort of key piece of advice to those people, what would it be? Yeah, I think I think it would be talk, if if your eczema is not uh, well controlled and and it's and your skin is get, causing you concern, speak to your doctor and don't assume that because they're a doctor that they know everything or know everything about you because eczema is very different. So you have to be able to summarise your situation uh, and uh, and um, uh, symptoms quite succinctly with them to be able to get the best out of that consultation. But yes, yeah, do seek do it, seek help. And advice from Alpa, who's the person that people will be see seeking help from or one of the people. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a team effort. So, you know, when I see patients, it's a team effort. We work as a, a collaborative team because as, as Andy said, the, the, the person with the eczema is, a, is an expert in their own right. Mm. So we work together to find, you know, potential solutions that might help. But I think education is key. So for the person, as, as we said, eczema is a very individual condition. So an individual needs to get to know, you know, what eczema is, what their triggers are, how to use their cream. So I think education for me equals empowerment. Julie, what advice would you give to anyone listening and wanting some help with their eczema? Yes, I think definitely adding on from the two points about confidence and education and understanding how to care for your skin. I would say investing time every day to look after your skin. Too many people sometimes think that they only have to treat their eczema when they're having a flare and they think, unfortunately, eczema is for life and treatment is for every day. So investing in a really good emollient regime every day and trying to be aware of avoiding your triggers. And, and with children, I sometimes say, you know, teach children to use their emollients every day, just like you teach them to clean their teeth every night. Mm -hmm. and, and children should be taking charge of their own skincare and everybody should invest a bit of time every day with eczema in their skincare. That's fantastic advice. And I would say my piece of advice is call Julie and her colleagues on that helpline. <laughs> it just sounds like you've got so many pearls of wisdom to offer. Julie, Alpa, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to you for listening to or watching this podcast as well. We would love for you to follow and subscribe to the series and to rate and review it if you have the time. And for lots more information, please visit the National Eczema Society website at eczema.org. That's E-C-Z-E-M-A dot org. If you have any questions, you can also contact info at eczema.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter, or follow our campaign on hashtag more than just an itch. 
In our next episode, meet adult sufferers Jack and Chloe. We'll be asking them how eczema has impacted on their lives and how they cope with living with this condition. I'm Catherine Nicholson, and until then, goodbye. Goodbye.